flies in perfume, blunt axes, snake charmers and birds flying through the air or whatever they are, taking messages to who knows where. That's what we got to look at tonight and trying to understand how this kind of crazy seeming mishmash of ideas fits together. So why don't we pray that God would help us to do that? Let's pray. Lord God, tonight as we look at this book, as we hear these words of this teacher, we ask that you would show us the wisdom within, your wisdom. And we ask that tonight we would come away not having just heard some helpful proverbs, but having seen wisdom in its fullest, deepest sense, and that that might be so profound that it would change the way we live. We pray this, Lord, in your Son's great name. Amen. There was once a small city. It was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came across this city. A huge king surrounded it. And he built a large kind of siege against this city. Now inside the walls of this city was a poor wise man. He was in there and he was found. And as the proverb goes, he delivered the city by wisdom. By wisdom. Now that story is actually Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 14. You can check it out a little bit later. It's a proverb that introduces the main topic of this section of Ecclesiastes. I want you to listen to the conclusion of this proverb. It's on the screen, chapter 9 verse 15. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised. And his words are not heeded. What's on view in front of us all tonight is wisdom and foolishness. That's what God wants us to have a look at as we open up this part of Ecclesiastes. How do, we, how do we be wise? See, we all want to be wise, don't we? Everyone wants to have wisdom. The only ones who, who don't want to have wisdom are fools. <laughs> They're the only ones that want to be foolish, aren't they? want to muck around and not do things right and this section of the bible is what we call wisdom literature in fact the whole book of ecclesiastes is wisdom literature there's a different style of writing that kind of narrative style where you go through and hear events as they happen it's collected sayings that are brought together um, kind of like proverbs the book of proverbs is part of the wisdom literature of the bible they're sayings on what is wisdom and what is foolishness what is smart and stupid that help us navigate the sense of life. But some people come across this part of the Bible, like the Proverbs and, and this part of Ecclesiastes, and they kind of treat it like fortune cookies. You ever had a fortune cookie? You know, you sit down in the Chinese restaurant and there's this kind of cookie on the table. And you're like, awesome, I can crack it open. And inside this cookie will be the thing that will make me rich or powerful or good or great. And you crack it open and you take a little piece of paper out and you read it and it says... This piece of paper is not for consumption. And you're like, oh, that's a bit, you know, disappointing. And you realize you're reading the back and it's actually the front that you need to read. So you flip it over and you see the other side. And on the other side, it says, the man who looks over his back will never go forwards. And you're like, oh, profound. You know, if I'm always looking back, I won't go forward or I'll trip over. You're like, man, that's changed my life. And then you eat the bit of cookie and you go, what if there's another one? Right? That, that's, that's how it works. We want more. Um, but this type of wisdom literature in the Bible is different from that. In one main way, its author isn't someone sitting in a shop stuffing little bits of paper into kind of little cookies. Its author is the creator of the universe. 
This wisdom is coming from one who made the heavens and the earth, who made you and sustains you. See, what makes this wisdom worth listening to, as compared to, say, the fortune cookie type, is its author, God himself. And as he writes these little nuggets of wisdom, they don't just come on their own. They fit within a bigger context of everything God has previously said, everything God had previously done up until this point, and within God's full plan into the future of all the things he would do. And we see that these little nuggets of wisdom, while they're wise in and of themselves, leave us crying out for some greater sense of purpose and hope. And it's my hope tonight that you'll be able to see that greater sense of the context of these words, this wisdom for us today. Well, as we start, it helps to have like a definition. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, I want to put it to you tonight that wisdom is really two things. It's knowing reality and then living in light of that reality. Wisdom is knowing reality and living in light of that reality. Let me give you an example. Look at chapter 9, verse 17. The calm words of the wise are heeded more than the shouts of a ruler over fools. Now, what's that saying? The wise person speaks calmly. Their words are heeded. They're followed. See, the, the wise person doesn't need to raise their voice. They just speak calmly because they know reality. They know what is. And people follow those calm words from the wise person because the wise person speaks of what is real. And people heed that reality. They, they listen to it. They follow it. Unlike this ruler who doesn't speak the calm truth, but, but sees the need to shout folly. They substitute volume for truth. Did you ever do that? Someone says, why did you do that? You're like, I don't know, I just didn't feel like it. I say, no, why did you do it? You're like, I didn't feel like it. You just say it louder. And you think that it's somehow going to convince people by saying it louder. That's what we do. And so it's saying, that's just foolish. This person's a ruler. They didn't just speak truth. They could have spoken the truth calmly and quietly. And people would have seen the truth in it. But they feel the need to shout as if volume substitutes for truth. And those who hear it, they're like, whoa, what is this noise, this person? And, and, and so they don't follow it. Even though it comes from a ruler, they should. Because it's shouted down their throats, they, they don't hear it and they walk away. They don't notice reality. They don't see reality. They walk away from it. The wise know reality. And they live in light of that reality. The fool does the very opposite of these two things. The fool either doesn't understand what really is, the fool doesn't know reality, and then sometimes the fool doesn't live in light of reality. They might know what's true, but they don't live in light of it. It's critical, I want to say, for us as people and for us as a humanity to learn wisdom, to live in light of what is real, isn't it? Because otherwise we're living in 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 a fairy dream world. We're expecting things to happen when it's just not reality. Or or we know what reality is, but we expect something different to happen about it. I mean, Einstein says, what what does he say? That the the definition of insanity is is doing the same thing multiple times and expecting a different outcome, right? Uh, But that's what sometimes we do. I want to tell you about a man who I met on the internet. I didn't really meet him on the internet, like in a chat room. I just came across him, all right? And uh, his name is Jesus Half Animal Villa. Cool name. <laughs> Jesus Half Animal Villa. That's what he calls himself. And he's a guy who, he loves to break world records. 
This guy's like a world record smasher. He just like sets out. He's like, I'm going to find some world records. I'm going to break them because I can. And my name is Half Animal. Uh, it's the kind of guy he is. And um, what he decides to do is he's like, I'm going to break the world record for the fastest amount of time to jump through 10 panes of glass. I'm going to jump through 10 panes of, of, not just any glass, tempered glass. You know, the stuff that they kind of holds together when you're trying to break it. It's like, like your windscreen. You know, it's meant to hold you in. I'm going to break the world record for the fastest time to jump through 10 panes of tempered glass. I'm going to show you a video where he talks about what motivates him. Have a listen to this. Crack the volume up. It's great. Right before you start there. I'm going to be thinking about everything I've ever done in my life. Yeah. Everything I want in my life. Yeah. And everything that it takes to get what I want in my life, and that's breaking through these panels of glass. And get the Guinness World Record. I mean, if you want to succeed, it's like shattering 10 panes of tempered glass. So here you go. He wants to do it. He, check out this next bit. Here is is about to do is about to do what no one has ever done before. Hunting the Guinness World Record for the fastest time to jump through ten panes of tempered glass. Jesus half animal Vila already holds three Guinness World Records, but this, this one is by right? far the most extreme. Break his way into Guinness World Record history, and there he goes. And he's off for the first pane of glass. It's the trick. I love it so much that I did it in slow motion for you. Just watch this again. I love this. Look, he's so determined. (laughs) And then it smashes. See, here is a guy that recognizes reality. He knows this is tempered glass. That's the world record, right? Yet he fails to live in line with reality. He thinks he can run at it and break through it. You can't. He's a fool. Like you just, here is an example of, of living in the world, recognizing some part of that reality, but thinking that you don't need to live in line with it. That's what foolishness is. But my hunch is that we all do that as well, because I know I do. You just ask the father who thinks it's wise to spend the first 12 years of his life wedded to his work, and then think that he can kind of get on well with his kids when he walks back into their life 12 years later. It's not going to happen. That's not reality. And that, that's not what's going on. Or the person who spends their time during their study period on Facebook. Facebook's awesome. I'm learning about the things of the world. You sit in your exam. It'll be fine. It won't be fine. You have to remember stuff. And if you haven't studied it, you're not going to be able to pass it. That's reality problem is sometimes they get through some exams and that, that increases the habit. And so we look at it more. We, we do it more. Or the person who thinks that speed signs are for other people. Is that you? You're like, they're for the people who can't drive as well as me. And so, you know, I'm, I'm cool. And so they're like driving through above the speed limit and they get booked. Or worse still, someone steps out onto the road. Yeah, it's not as funny then, is it? Foolishness can have big effects on our future, on our family, and on our lives. What we must do is see the shape of reality. Wisdom is understanding the world that we live in. And this writer, the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, is going to lay out for us some of the things that are just the shape of reality. Some of the home truths that help us to understand how to live in the world. It's just obvious and plain wisdom that we get to go through. So let me run you through a few from the passage. Number one, foolishness comes from within. Foolishness comes from within. Have a look at chapter 10, verse 2. A wise man's heart goes to the right, 
but a fool's heart goes to the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense and he shows everyone he is a fool. See, the wise and the fool, they go different directions. But you'll notice that it's not just that they go different directions, it's that their heart takes them different directions. Folly is traced to a heart that is bent and crooked. A heart that keeps going the wrong way against reality. It's what's the inner invisible inside of a human's life that directs our folly or foolishness and our wisdom. In other words, we might look upright and moral on the outside. We might look wise and noble and like we've got stuff sorted in life. But the determiner of wisdom and folly in your life flows from inside you, flows from your heart. It's no surprise that Jesus says, for out of one's own heart come all sorts of evils, sexual immorality, lust, greediness. He lists them all, but for they come outside from within a person and make someone unclean, he says. Well, here, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that our hearts determine wisdom or folly. That's where foolishness comes from. Not just plain incompetence, but a crooked heart. Earlier, the writer of Ecclesiastes had said that we have eternity set in our hearts, but we see that our hearts are evil and defective. Our hearts are factories of foolishness, and our products are on display for all. That's the second half of that verse, you see. Even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense, and he shows everyone he's a fool. In other words, you think you've got it all inside and everything's fine, but everyone can see how you're walking along the road. What are you walking along the road for? You're going to hit by a car. There's a footpath for that, right? And so he's saying you can't control how that looks. The fool makes decisions from their heart that they think they're fooling everyone, but they're not. They're only fooling themselves. Our hearts are factories of foolishness. And our products are displayed to all. The second thing that he's saying in these verses here is that, well, there is foolishness in high places. Looking at verses 4 to 7, um, you see that when you've got a fool in charge, everyone's in trouble. And surely you've been in situations like this. Let's read it. Chapter um, 10, verse 5. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights. But the rich man remains in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He's saying, why is it that in the world that we live, dumb guys get the high jobs? Why does that happen? Like, have you ever seen that? Where you've been in a business or in a lecture or in, um, in a church even. When the guy at the top is a tool or the woman at the front is just doesn't have any idea, totally clueless. And you're like, how did you get that job? What are you doing here? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, when you have a fool in charge, everyone is in trouble. Whether it's your work, your government, or your church. I don't know how many churches I've seen or heard of where the the leaders have just made foolish decision after foolish decision. Where instead of sticking to God's word, they've had other ideas that are new and fancy and shiny. God, let's run after this. And you see the church kind of go that way and think, this is good. This, this person's being led by, by God and doing great things, but he's led them away from the word of God. And slowly he's leading people away from God and from the church and from salvation. Friends, we need to pray for our leaders. Leaders that are in government, that they'll make wise choices. We need to pray for ourselves during elections, that we would make wise choices. In a democracy, we're the ones who put them in the place they're in. We need to think carefully about who we put in these places 
And pray for those who are leaders within our church, in our small groups, uh, for the staff team, for the ministry leaders. Pray for us that we would make wise decisions, that we would keep letting God's word be the guide of all that we do. Well, there's foolishness in high places, and then the writer gets on to foolishness in life. I, I love these verses. They just, they, just, they just excite me. I don't know what it is about it. It just feels like an episode of The Castle, right? Look at this. Um, chapter 10, verse 8. The one who digs a pit may fall into it. Right, that's The Castle, if you've seen it. What did you do today? I dug a hole. So Australians find that funny. That's what we do. We dig holes. But he's like, the one who digs a pit may fall into it. And the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits trees may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. What these verses are saying is that within life, within just the reality of the the shape of the world we live in, there are inherent dangers with the things that we do. Uh, If you're a grave digger, don't step back when you finish digging the grave. You you fall in. That's a long way down, six feet. If you dig a hole, look out for it. If you're you're an axeman and you're chopping down trees, or an axe woman, you could be an axe woman. Either way, that sounds like Wonder Woman. That was cool, axe woman. Anyway, um, my head's gone off into cartoon land. It's like, come back. Um, You know, you've got to watch out for the reality of falling trees. It's an occupational hazard. He's saying be wise in the way you live in the world that you're you're amongst. If you're a snake charmer, he talks about later. Now, I don't know how many of you are thinking about snake charming as a kind of future um, career to, to follow, but he's got a great tip for people that are thinking about snake charming. Don't get bitten by the snake before you charm it. Now, it kind of seems a bit obvious, right? You, you, you want to make sure you don't get bitten by the snake. But he's saying, within life, they're proverbs, they're picture painted out there for us to understand wisdom. He's saying, within life, look out for the inherent dangers that are within the own way that you act and live. And I was thinking about it, what does this mean for, for us for, or for me? So my very work is, is the teaching of God's word and, and trying to lead people in, in knowing who Jesus is and what he's done. And what's the implicit danger within that for me? Well, it's to teach the word of God and never apply it to myself, isn't it? It's to keep holding out the truth of what God is saying and never think about what that means for the way I live. Never think about lining up my life with God. I need to be careful in my line of work that I'm applying God's word to myself first and foremost. What is it for you? What is it in in, in your studies to, to forget the one who's given you knowledge? In your workplace, as you teach others to forget to keep learning yourself, is it to, as an as a, as a individual in society, forget that God is the one who gives us everything? Is it to talk to your friends about Christianity and how great it is, but never be joyful yourself? What is it for you in, in your place? What are the inherent dangers within the world that you live in? This illustration of the, of the axeman. He says, within that, you know, you can keep chopping, but you need to sharpen your axe because a blunt axe requires more work. How are you going at resting? How are you going at thinking about sharpening your skills and your knowledge, both in God's word and in the life that you're a part of? Wisdom says we sharpen the axe rather than just keep on hammering away with a blunt axe requiring far more strength. As I look back over my life in leadership in ministry, I look back over a number of decisions that I've made that I think weren't the best decisions. They weren't the sharpest. I didn't take enough time out to think through them and think through the implications of them. And I think as a result of that, 
And church may not have grown the same way it could have grown. People uh, may have not been hurt. Uh, if I'd actually been wiser in the way that I've thought through things. Do, do pray for those in leadership. Do pray for me and the exec as we try and lead church, that we might do it in a way that glorifies God and that is wise in the choices that we make. For within life, there is just an inherent wisdom and danger that we need to look out for. That's the shape of the world. Another part of the shape of the world that the writer of Ecclesiastes puts before us is in chapter 10, verses 12 to 14, where we see the foolishness of speech. I feel like there's a certain part of the Bible that speaks to me specifically. This might be one of them. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the areas that I, I think by talking. Like, you know, when I'm sitting there quiet, Sarah's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, nothing. Like, um, and when I'm talking, like, what do you think about that? Well, I'm saying it. My thoughts are out here. It's generally how I work. I don't get it. I love it when I chat to people who, who kind of are internal processes. Like, you ask them, what do you think about this? And they sit there quietly. And I'm like, ask your question. Why aren't you thinking? I'm like, that's right. They don't have to think with their mouths. Like, they can think with their brains. And then a minute later, they go like, I think there's four problems with that idea. And they go and list them all. And you're like, how do you do that? Like, what went on in your head? And for me, I, I, I just, I find myself wanting to speak too quickly. I need to hear these words. Chapter 10, verse 12, the words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, but the lips of the fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No one knows what will happen. And who can tell anyone what will happen after him? People are full of talk. They just fill the gaps in the air, not knowing the truth, not knowing what is to come. And so we say things. One of my fears is that one day people will work out, I don't have it all together. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious from my life, and just, but I don't have it all together. But I think I need to, and so I say things or I speak things. I don't know. Do you find yourself doing that? Do you find yourself worried that people are like, oh, you don't know as much as maybe what you think or what you, I thought you thought? We feel it, and, and we become foolish in the way that we speak. The beginning of this fool's mouth is folly. At the end, by the time he's finished going on about whatever junk he's filling the gap up with, it's just craziness. I was chatting to someone this morning who was in a meeting with some pretty high-powered kind of executives uh, in in a field that's pretty important to do with health. And he was saying that in in this meeting, there were all these kind of key um, consultants that had kind of come in to give advice on on the best way forward. And they're all talking about it. And he said to me, it was just like reading the Bible. They're all just talking about junk. They're trying to say, this is the best way to go. That's the best way to go. And finally, the, kind of, the chairperson speaks up and says, look, I don't know about history, but I know about we've got an opportunity to move forward. Everyone's like, oh, that's good. Like, what was all the other junk that was just going on? Wisdom is quiet. Wisdom listens and speaks few words. Fools multiply their words. And then we see foolishness in power. A little bit similar to the ones that we talked about at the front. But... Those who've got the power to do things in, in chapter 10, in verses 16 to 20. You know, when you've got the power to fix your roof, but you don't because you're just comfortable on your bed, looking at it drip until it falls in. Like, it's, it's dumb. Uh, this is not the way to live. It's, it's laziness. Or, you know, if you're a king, instead of preparing for battle when there's someone against you, you sit back and be like, we're just going to drink all the wine and eat all the food and sit back and be jab of the heart, you know? We're going to be huge and love it because that's what life's about. And then we get attacked and we're like, I can't get out of bed because you're like fat and stuck. Uh, It's foolish. Uh, You do the wrong things at the wrong times. Now, my guess is that lots of us do the wrong things at the wrong times. 
You should be getting something done, but suddenly all those jobs you didn't have to do, you didn't feel like doing before seem attractive. And so rather than getting this thing that you should do, you go and do these other things. It's called procrastination. Uh, We do it all the time. It's foolish. What this word from the Bible is saying is that if you want to live a wise life, this is the way to live. This is the shape of reality in the world around us. Wisdom is what we want. In chapter 9, verse 18, the writer says this, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Do you get that? Wisdom is powerful. It's pervasive. It's long-lasting. It's good. It's more powerful than weapons of war. It's better than weapons of war. But there's a problem. One sinner can destroy much good. See, this is the problem with wisdom. While the writer has laid out all sorts of wisdom for us, the best way to live in the world, have you noticed it only takes one simple mistake to ruin something good? One simple mistake and it's all gone to custard. I don't know how many times I've I've planned for Sarah to have like a nice night off together. I'm like, awesome. All right, I'll go and pick the movie. And then it's showing, I'll go work out what movie we're going to watch. And then then I'll be like, I'll get dinner organized. So I go to the freezer and find something that Sarah had already cooked and then heat it up. And be like, but I did it. Like, this is effort, you know? Because, like, you don't want me to cook it. Not, sometimes I cook, but, yeah, you know. So I've got that ready, and it's all, all sorted there. Organizing and great. Now, we sit down and watch TV. You know, the kids are in bed. Everything's great. And Sarah's like, oh, did you drop that thing off at um, the shops I asked you to drop off today? And you give that blank look, you know, the one where you're like, oh, I didn't. No, I didn't. And then the whole night's stuffed because you didn't do the one thing, right? All your work that's gone beforehand is like, fine. And then like, rightly, Sarah's grumpy and there you go. And the whole night's ruined. It only takes one mistake to ruin wisdom. And that's what the the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. It only takes one dead fly to ruin the perfumer's oil. Make it stink. Now, I take it not many of us make our own perfume. I think you get the idea, right? One stinking fly and the whole lot's gone. It's like one cup of coffee. You put one fly in it and you can't drink any of it anymore. It's just all gone. It's stuffed. It only takes one little mistake to ruin the whole lot going forward. And isn't that true in life? Uh, I know of a guy who uh, just made one small mistake. Great guy. He, he went to a party, had a little bit too much to drink. The guy was married, ended up sleeping with someone else. Came home, didn't want to tell his wife and was quiet about it and was quiet about it. Eight months he kept it quiet. Finally, it got the better of him. He's a Christian guy and he went and, and, and said, look, this is what happened. Told his wife, she left him. He ended up on antidepressants and then she's just gone away. Nothing, And he's then walked away from Jesus. One mistake and the whole lot's gone. It's a principle. It's the whole way throughout the Bible. I mean, you think right back. Let me show you a couple. You think right back to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam is there with Eve in the garden and everything's good. God has made the world around him. He's got fruit from trees and he doesn't have to work it. It's brilliant. He's walking in the presence of God. There's Eve there, Adam and Eve, the perfect human beings. They're both naked. There's no shame. Everything's good. This is how the world is supposed to be, right? And, and, and it's, God's got them there in this situation and it's brilliant. And then there's just one thing. There's this tree that Adam looks at with some snake near it. And the snake says some stuff to his wife. And, and so he takes this fruit that God told him not to. One act of disobedience. And sin enters the world and the whole of humanity dies. Do you know that sin is only in the world because... Sorry, death is only in the world because of sin, because of rebellion from God. You reject the God who gives life, he takes life from you. That one man, Adam, by that one little act, introduced your and my nature. That 
propensity we have to live with ourselves as the king of our lives rather than God. The propensity to think that God doesn't exist. Adam did that one little mistake and the whole thing turns to custard. Look at Romans 5 verse 12. This is the way Paul describes it. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. One act of rebellion affected every human. The greatest Holocaust the world has ever seen wasn't Hitler with the Jews. It was Adam with humanity. Because that man made one mistake and the whole of humanity now suffers death. Now, we still choose to sin. (laughs) I'm just putting it on him. Yes, he did do that. But we still have that same heart and we still act in that same way. You want to disprove that? Just spend a day without sinning. Yeah, we are like that. We are like our first father. One act. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. We'll take, for instance, King David. You get to this biblical character, David, who was really the height of God's people throughout Israel. Uh, There'd been a king before him, Saul, who was a rotten king. He's he's awful. He was the the king the people chose rather than the king God chose. And, and, And King David was a king after God's own heart. You read about it throughout 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. Yeah, David is this man who um, is actually um, Solomon's dad, right? He's this man who has great integrity, great integrity about him. So many times he'd been faced with an opportunity to kill off Saul. And one time he's in a cave and Saul just happens to walk into the same cave and to go to the toilet. And, and, and David could have taken him out, could have killed him right there and then. But he was God's king at that time. Saul. And David knew it was wrong for, for himself to take out God's king, even though David had been promised that he would be king in the future. So he doesn't do it. He just takes a little corner of his cloak off and shows him later his integrity. David is a man of integrity. He's a good guy, a guy who does what is right, who is after God's heart. But then we get to the start of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it starts this way. Let me just, let me just read it to you. When kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. When the kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. What's going on there? David was the king. There was a time of war. The kings go off to war. Why is David staying back? What's going on here? Why is he where he should not have been? I'll tell you what's happening. It's code for sin is about to happen. One mistake is about to happen that's going to make the rest go downhill. He's back at home where he shouldn't be, on the roof, looks out, sees Bathsheba. This woman across the way. Uh, beautifully bathing in a, in a bath and is suddenly attracted to her. He goes to her. He has sex with her. She becomes pregnant and he goes, uh-oh, what does he do now? So he tries to cover up his tracks, right? If you know the story, uh, her, her husband was Uriah. Uriah was basically um, David's bodyguard. He's out fighting David's battles while David's back sleeping with his wife. And so what, what he does is he says he calls Uriah back straight away and says, um, I'll tell you what, we want you back. You can go and sleep with your wife. So it looks like it's all okay. But Uriah is such a good man that he's like, no, 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 I can't sleep with my wife while my men are at war. So he doesn't even sleep in the same building. He doesn't even go into the same building. And then David's like, now what do I do? So he then says, right, go back to war and stick him on the front line. And he gets killed. David gets his own bodyguard killed to cover up his mess. And from that moment on, his family just goes downhill big time. Uh, All of Israel begin to implode and fracture and break apart. One silly mistake ruins the rest of his life. 
In that, mur- in that family, you start to see rape and then incest and murder and rebellion. It all goes downhill. It all goes downhill. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. That is the problem with wisdom. It's so easy to undo it all. But there is a different type of wisdom that God has revealed throughout history. There is wisdom that we see with more longevity. A type of wisdom that actually can't be beaten by sinners, by one stupid action. There's a a wisdom that has been revealed. Do you remember that story that we started with, with the the king and and the poor man, and the king came and attacked that little village, and the poor man was in there? Do you remember how it finished? Chapter 9, verse 15, it's on the screen. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. Often when wisdom is displayed, people don't recognize its wisdom. And it got me thinking, where is it that wisdom is displayed better than strength? Where is it that someone poor came with great wisdom who was despised and his words were not heeded at all? I'll tell you where it is. It's at the cross where the man Jesus Christ came and spoke wisdom into the world and said, I am the one who has come, but the world did not listen to him. The world rejected him. Listen to how Paul describes this one who brought wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the philosopher, he says? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom... The world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Where do we go when we're looking for wisdom that lasts to God's power and wisdom called Jesus, to the cross where the one who was despised and beaten and mocked and scorned was nailed to that cross in your place and in mine so that we might live forever, so that death would no longer have reign on us. Listen to what Paul says 10 verses later in verse um, 30 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. But it's from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became God-given wisdom for us our righteousness, sanctification and redemption in order that as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. If you're looking for, Je- if you're looking for wisdom, Jesus is your go-to guy. He's the one who has died in your place. He's, he is our righteousness, the one who makes wise choices all his life. He is our sanctification, the one who presents us wholly before God and makes us more and more like God in the way that we live. He's our redemption. He's the one who's brought us back from our dumb and foolish choices. And as you think through this Jesus, as you look at who he is, and you compare it to the kind of shape of reality that the writer of Ecclesiastes lays out, you suddenly suddenly start to see that it makes sense. Like, for instance... Foolishness flows from the heart. But 1 Peter 2 verse 22 says, Jesus 
He, he did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Here is one who is unlike us foolish, crooked hearts, one who does not sin. He is wisdom for us. Um, when you look at the way that kings act and those in high places, there's every right for us sometimes to be very afraid of the world around us, but there's one comfort for us. And that comfort is the one who is in the ultimate high place, the one who has been raised to be the authority of everything that exists. Jesus says in in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The one who is in that highest place is Jesus. Wisdom rests that Jesus is in control of all things, that he is that one in that highest place. Or his speech, it's not foolish like ours. You think about the way we add words upon words upon words, but the way Jesus speaks is true. John twelve forty nine. he says this, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus speaks the word of God. Unlike the fool, his words are true. And his life, the way he lives, you know, you think about that shape of life and looking out for the kind of possible mistakes in, in, in life, the kind of... Um, career traps we can fall into like the snake in the hole right you look at what jesus did his life did not end in an unplanned strike of a snake or falling into his own grave but his death was planned and it was on our behalf it was for you and me that he died His seeming foolishness was actually his wisdom dying in our place, facing the the anger and wrath of God on our behalf. Jesus fell into the hole of death and was bitten by the snake of death in our place so that we need not face those things. It was in line with God's plan. This is the very purpose of what God was doing. Here is wisdom living in the world in the way that God has planned because that was always God's plan. Do you remember back in Genesis 3 when God was dishing out the, the punishments to Adam, to Eve, and to the snake for rebellion in the garden? Listen to what God says to the snake in chapter 3, verse 15. He says this, I'll put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Here is a promise in Genesis 3 of one who would come and crush the head of the snake the one who brought death into the world, the one who tempted mankind with rebellion, the son of Eve called Jesus would come and crush the head of the snake and in doing so, death would strike his heel. He himself would die in our place. Jesus is the fulfillment of all this wisdom. His wisdom personified. He is the promised serpent crusher. He tasted death in our place so that death and death itself might be crushed. Jesus is the wisdom of God in every single one of these areas that the writer of Ecclesiastes lays out. You see how he fulfills it. You see how this writing given from God comes in a greater context. It leaves you with a hole for someone who is wise. And later on, we meet that person called Jesus and see how he fulfills every single area. So what does wise living look like? How do we respond to living wisely in the world? Well, the person who is wise acts In line with reality, we see that Jesus is truly wisdom. He is the one who made the world, sustains the world. We we need to respond to the one who has come and laid down his life as part of God's plan. We need to live with him as he really is. He's the king. 
Sure, you can live your life thinking that he's not the king, but history points to the fact that Jesus really did the stuff the Bible says he did. Go and check it out. Go and look at it. If he rose from the dead, if that actually happened, then this one has conquered death. Wisdom takes Jesus seriously and says, you know what, he actually did what he said he'd do. Wisdom takes Jesus at his word. It uses our life for his purposes. How do we respond? We live for wisdom, for Jesus. For thinking about he would have, how he would have us live. Now, I wasn't uh, going to tell you this, but I decided I would. Uh, I, I got a... I got an email this week on this um, uh, like website that I'm on about bargains. And they send you emails about cool bargains that are on. And uh, they sent this email in. And the email said that, that tonight, um, at about half past seven, uh, there's going to be a sale uh, for half an hour at the PB Technology Store, which is the computer store, um, just down the road here in the city. And that what they're doing is they're having just for half an hour to clear stock for the new year a 90% off sale. Now, I thought, I was umming and ahhing, should I do it or not? It's going to make people not want to listen to the rest of the sermon. You know, I'm like, hey, I could just really quietly sneak out when I was looking the other way and listen to the rest of it online and get down there because I'd love a new, like, computer, you know? A $900 computer is now only 90 bucks. Apparently, that's what they're saying. You know, you, you, could, you can buy those kind of, those fancy SD cards that go in your camera so that you can capture, I don't know, the world in a second, right? You can get one of them. I think they're like, like $78, $7.80. You could go and buy a new Mac, if, if this is true, you know, that's normally $2,000, you get it for 200 That's a good deal. Now, why do I tell you that? Because wisdom says that we need to live in the world in a way that it's wise. And it's a wise way to use our money wisely, isn't it? And so when we see deals like this, we should think, man, I want to go and use this. I want to be, I hope in some ways you're on the edge of your seat tonight going, um, I, I kind of want to slip out. I kind of want to go and make the use of, of this wisdom that's there, right? This is awesome. PB Technology, 90% off. Now, I want to take you out of your anxiety because that email doesn't exist and PB Technology are not having that sale right now. <laughs> it's not on. I made it up. But imagine if you sought the wisdom of Jesus with the same way that you wanted to go down to PB Tech just then. Imagine if you went, oh, this is the best way to live. Jesus died in my place and he gives me true wisdom. He tells me how to live in his world. Why wouldn't you do this? Imagine if you had that same expectation, that same desire to put Jesus first in all things and recognize who he was because you've seen his wisdom personified. You've seen what he's done. You've seen what he's offering. It's far better than 90% off. It's life forever. He is no fool, Jim Elliot said who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. How crazy it is to have to seek the whole world but forfeit our souls. The question as we think through wisdom tonight is, have you seen Jesus? Have you put your life in line with him? Are you living with him as your number one? Are you so ordering the way you think and breathe and act and live and spend your money and time around truly wisdom? Or are we being foolish? 
hearing this word, seeing the, the account of what Jesus has done, understanding the, rela- the um, ridiculous nature that we've been offered eternity. We've been called co-heirs with Christ to rule this world forever. And we walk out and live for an Xbox or a Mac. <laughs> How should we respond? Make the most of the rest of your life by seeking wisdom in Jesus. Looking at the way he tells us to live and shows us how to live in his world. It's not time to sit back in comfy chairs and relax. It's time to share the wisdom that we have seen with the world around us and to live with that wisdom as number one. Do you know, you can actually grow in wisdom. James tells us that we should ask God that he would grow us in wisdom and that God loves to answer that prayer with a yes. He loves to put Jesus front and center in our lives. Wise people, they they get quoted often. right? Do you want to be a wise person? Do you want to be someone that in future generations is quoted for your wisdom and for just living in the world in a way that is just wise and right? Let me let you in on a secret. Being quoted has got nothing to do with how clever you are. It's got nothing to do with how original you are either. Being quoted in the future will depend entirely on your response to the one who is wisdom. To have people who look at your life and go, wow, they made decisions that mattered for eternity. At the end of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says to the church in Philippi, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on that day, I want people to look back and say, I'm so glad Rowan pointed me to Jesus. I'm so glad those people reminded me of how important Jesus was to them, that I could see true wisdom. For now I am found forgiven. For I lived my years on earth in line with the wisdom of Jesus rather than the wisdom of Rowan or of you or of me. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is reality. And our call is to live in light of that reality. Let's pray. Father God, we are so, so thankful for the wisdom that you've shown us in Jesus. That On our own, we are without hope. On our own, we are foolish and crooked in the decisions we make and in the way that we live. We just live such foolish lives at times. We confess, Lord, that we have so often rejected your wisdom, your word, your son. And we put ourselves at the center of our lives rather than you. We live for things that we think will please us but never deliver. We acknowledge, Lord, that we haven't treated you as you deserve. And because of that, Lord, we should face death and judgment. But we are so thankful that wisdom in the flesh stepped into the world in the name of your son, Jesus. And that people with beautiful feet brought that news of Jesus to us so that we might know the truth because of nothing that we've done, but because of your son, and what he has done for us. Lord, we pray tonight that you would put front and center for every person here the wisdom that is your son, Jesus. That we might so order our lives to live wisely with him as our king.
with his words guiding our life. That we might use our time and energy in a way that you can use us to bring people to know you and to stand firm in you to the end. And Father, we pray for those of us here who have not yet come to Jesus, that you would show them the truth of who he is and what he's done, that they would spend the time now investigating him, looking at the facts and the evidence to see that Jesus is the one who is wisdom. Lord, we ask that in all we do as a church and as individuals together, that we might have Jesus as our number one, that we might be so captured by him that we live like a moth to light, serving him in all we do. Amen.